while we're watching the precious kids go on, um, another announcement I just wanted to say is today is National Day of Prayer for Vacation Bible School. Our theme this year is In the Wild, and the, uh, I guess the motto is Zoom In, Focus on Jesus. And so, as you can see from some of the pictures we have up here, it's all about photography in the wild. So, it'll be exciting. The kids will be super excited. How do they not get excited about lions and tigers and, and all those great things? And bears. Oh, my. So I'm excited about, um, I'm, I'm very excited about VBS. I hope you all are very excited about VBS. And so since it is um, the National Day of Prayer, let's, uh, let's pray for our upcoming VBS. Father, we love you, and Father, we, we thank you for these kids. Father, we thank you for the, the, just the love that you have poured into them and in creating them that you knit them together and, and fashioned them and that you, you planned every one of their days before, before they were born. Father, that you gave them to us as a church, that we, you, have, you have placed them in, in families within this church and, and that you've, you've enabled us to have a church, that you placed us in a country in which we can openly worship you and we can advertise and, and have a, what we call a vacation Bible school. Father, we're, we're looking forward to our Vacation Bible School coming up. Father, we ask you to move in the hearts of those who will be coming into these doors, that you would bring kids into this place, that you would prepare our teachers and to, to be able to share the, the, your love with these kids, that every year that these kids would look forward to this and that they would, they would know how much you love them and that they would they would experience it here and that they would be able to turn around and go out and, and be able to share it with their family and those that, their parents. Father, we also pray for the parents of these kids. We pray that if they don't have a church, that they would, they would find one here. Father, that if they do have a church, that, that they would be growing there into maturity and, and, and raising their kids to know you. Father, kids are a precious gift. And, Father, we, we, we recognize that, and we also recognize that they ultimately belong to you and that you've given them to us for a short period of time. And so, Father, I pray that we, we steward that time well. And so, Father, we ask that you bless this Vacation Bible School that we're going to have and that kids would come into a closer relationship with you, whether that's for the first time or whether that's they, they just grow in their relationship with you, but that no matter what, that every child that comes in this place would leave this place closer to you. We love you, Father. And we thank you. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Well, as providence would have it, we are also talking about um, another child today in our sermon. We have made it to Hannah, Eli, and Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Um, we are looking first to begin with Hannah and Eli. 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. All right, but one more side note. I tell a lot of people here, like during Wednesday night, Sunday night, when we're having conversation, if you don't know how to pronounce a name in the Bible, just say it quickly and confidently, and nobody will ever know. But I'm just going to tell you, these are tough. I, I've actually practiced these. Uh, these, are, these are hard to say, but here we go. All right, First Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. There was a man from Ramathaim Zophim in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was, 
See, there it goes. Elkanah, son of Jer- Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. He had two wives, the first named Hannah, and the second, Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah was childless. This man would go up from his town every year to worship and sac- to sacrifice to the Lord of armies at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. Whenever El- Elkanah, I want to say Elkanah, but I, but it's pro- I think it's pr- it's properly. I was I've been listening to audio Bibles and they all say Elkanah. Anyways, and Southern is Elkanah. <laughs> All right. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her, even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival would taunt her severely just to provoke her, because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Year after year, when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. Hannah would weep and would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband, Elkanah, would ask. Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Now keep in mind, this is during the time of the judges, when everybody did whatever was right in their own eyes, whatever seemed right to themselves. And so here we see how bad an idea, uh, the idea of polygamy is. Do we not see that here? In almost every case of polygamy in the Bible, it's either outright condemned or through narrative shown why you should not practice it. Um, Here, as well as in other places, we are shown the rivalry that results from two women competing for the same man's heart. I just didn't want you to miss that important point. Here we have a bitter rivalry, and it's left with Hannah being just devastated, just just heartbroken, just so upset that she's not eating. On one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest Eli was sitting on the chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me, And give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently. And though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depths of my anguish and resentment. There are many women who have faced the pain of not being able to have children. Hannah said she was a woman with a broken heart, praying from the depths of her anguish and resentment. Verse 6 said that the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Hannah loved and followed God, but God chose to withhold something from her that would cause her to suffer and hurt 
in order to accomplish his greater purpose for all people. She couldn't see it at the time, and neither can we. We're Americans living in the 21st century. We never look at suffering as a good thing, do we? And most of the time, that probably might be true. But not all suffering is without a greater purpose. God said when we suffer for his sake, it is a privilege and a blessing. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. James said, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And Paul said this, Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Now that's a verse you might want to write down. Because you would say to yourself, how do you even compare anything else in the same sentence with believing in him? I mean, isn't that it? It's been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, which we think is the most important thing there is in this life, but also right along with that to suffer for him. Maybe your situation is something completely different. But regardless of the reason, the pain is still very real. And maybe you're feeling resentment towards God as well. Now, Hannah was not being disciplined by God because of her own sin that, she was, that he was wanting to get her to repent of. That wasn't the case. Nor was Satan attacking her and keeping her from having children in order to tear their family apart, although that seemed to be what the result was, was happening. God chose Hannah to incorporate into his grand story of redemption. Let's keep reading. Eli responded, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. Hannah walked away from that meeting with Eli in faith. She believed that what he said was going to come true. He was a prophet after all. After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord. When she had weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh, as well as a three-year-old bull, half a bushel of flour, and a clay jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. Please, my Lord, she said, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, I now give the boy... To the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. Then he worshiped the Lord there. Elkanah, Elkanah went, on, went home to Ramah, but the boy served the Lord in the presence of the priest Eli. So you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. So God kept Hannah from having children so that she would give away 
her only son to him? This still doesn't make any sense, especially not to Hannah. How could this be a good thing? The one thing she has waited for so long, she still can't have because she had to give him away. Well, for starters, she didn't have to give him away, if we're just going to be honest. She didn't have to make that type of promise or vow to God. It was her choice to give him to God's service in the temple. God didn't tell her to do it. He didn't come to her in a prophetic vision. He didn't come to her in a revelation and tell her, if you want to have children, you must give your firstborn son to me. She chose to. It kind of reminds you of what God himself did with his own son, doesn't it? That he gave his own son away for us. Eli's sons were wicked men. They did not respect the Lord or the priest's share of the sacrifices from the people. When anyone offered a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come with a three-pronged meat fork while the meat was boiling and plunge it into the container, kettle, cauldron, or cooking pot. The priest would claim for himself whatever the meat meat fork brought up. This is the way they treated all the Israelites who came there to Shiloh. Even before the fat was burned, the priest's servants would come and say to the one who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast because he won't accept boiled meat from you, only raw. If that person said to him, The fat must be burned first, then you can take whatever you want for yourself. The servant would reply, No, I insist that you hand it over right now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. So the servant's sin was very severe in the presence of the Lord because the men treated the Lord's offering with contempt. Samuel served in the Lord's presence. This mere boy was dressed in the linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife. May the Lord give you children by this woman in place of the one she has given to the Lord. Then they would go home. The Lord paid attention to Hannah's need, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old. He heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they were sleeping with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He said to them, Why are you doing these things? I have heard about your evil actions from all these people. No, my sons, the news I hear the Lord's people spreading is not good. If one person sins against another, God can intercede for him. But if a person sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to their father since the Lord intended to kill them. By contrast, the boy Samuel grew in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. A man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Didn't I reveal myself to your forefathers' family when they were in Egypt and belonged to Pharaoh's palace? Out of all the tribes of Israel, I chose your house to be my priests, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your forefathers' family all the Israelite fire offerings. Why then do all of you despise my sacrifices and offerings that I require at the place of worship. You have honored your sons more than me by making yourselves fat with the best part of all of the offerings of my people, Israel. You see, 
in the first two chapters, Hannah is contrasted with Eli. Eli accused Hannah of being sinful. But it wasn't Hannah that was sinful. It was Eli. Hannah ended up honoring God more than her son, Samuel. But Eli honored his sons more than he honored God. The first two chapters are are a contrast of Hannah and Eli. You see, we must choose to honor God more than family because he deserves it. Those we love are gifts from God. We should thank him for them, not prioritize them over him. Have I told you the the story about Ray Comfort? Um, He's from New Zealand. Back in the day, I don't know when, a while back, that's all I'm going to say. Try not to get in trouble. Back in the day, TVs were starting to be the booming thing, and he went and bought a colored television for his two sons. Every day, he'd come home, and his sons would run and greet him at the door and hug him and love him, and he brought brought them a color TV. He brought it in the house, set it up, and they loved it. The next day, he came home from work, got to the door, no sons. Every day, his sons would run and meet him at the door. That was what he looked forward to, to getting home. That day, they were just stuck glued to the TV. And he went and he took that TV and he threw it out, which would have been a huge expense. (laughs) But he said what happened was his kids loved the gift more than they loved the giver. And that's what we will do. We will look at people, whether it's children or a spouse or a parent or a best friend, doesn't matter who it is. We will look at the gifts, people, the gifts that God has placed in our life, and we will begin to prioritize them over the giver. We will begin to be, align our loyalty to them more than we'll align our loyalty to God. We should thank Him for them, not prioritize them over Him. The grand narrative is creation, Fall, redemption, and restoration. Now when you think about this, what is the majority of this Bible? Which one of those categories? Creation, the fall, redemption, or restoration? The majority of it is redemption. The story of redemption. Like someone writing a novel. They wrote about creation in the first couple chapters. They wrote about the fall in the next couple chapters. And then pretty much the rest of the Bible up until the revelation of what life is going to be like when God restores. It's all this story of redemption where God is redeeming us. This is God's story of redemption. And Samuel played a huge role. And Hannah kept in contact with him. He had more sons and daughters and was so proud of him. Hannah was a woman of God, and when it was all said and done, and she was standing in the presence of God. Now, of course, this is not in Scripture. I have to assume this from the Scripture and what I know about people who meet God. But when, it, when, when Hannah's life was all said and done, 
And she was standing in the presence of God for the first time. And she was able to look back at the part she played in God's redemptive story. I guarantee you she didn't regret it. I promise you when she was standing face to face with God and was able to look back at the fact of her part in God's redemptive story of all of us of giving Samuel to the Lord's service in the temple, adopting out her son. When she saw what Samuel did and how God used Samuel to redeem his people, I promise you, she did not regret it. She considered it a joy and a privilege to play such an important part in God's salvation story. Now, I don't know what part of God's story your suffering may play. I don't know. Or whether your suffering is due to your own sin, which is a form of discipline, or whether it's due to the fall, because we live in a fallen, broken planet. But I can promise you this. If you will determine to live wholeheartedly to God, Give Him all you have and all you are. He has promised to make all things good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Romans eight twenty eight through 30 We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God who are called according to His purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. There's your promise. There's your salvation redemptive story and your promise that Everyone who loves God, that God will make all things right. And you say, well, this can never be right. What this is happening in my life, what this I'm going through, this pain, this heartache, this brokenness, this cannot be made right unless I get what I want. And God said, no, 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 no. I will promise to make all things right. All things. I have a plan. And a purpose. We must live our lives like Hannah, completely devoted to God's glory and loving Him more than we love the people He gave us to be with on this earth for this short period of time. We must love the giver more than the gifts He's given us. You see, what Hannah knew that many mothers don't realize is that your children don't actually belong to you. They don't. They belong to God. And they are on loan to you. He has given them to you for a short time. And one day, He's going to call them back to Himself. And they will have to give an account to Him. Just like you and me. Our day is quickly approaching. God said, And just as it is appointed for people to die once... And after this, the judgment. We all will die. 
And after we die, we all will stand before God, the God who made us and gave us life and loved us and died for us. And he will be ju- and we will be judged by him. And everyone will be found wanting. Everyone will be found guilty. But the author of Hebrews did not stop there. Later, see, we put in verse numbers and chapters. You know, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. The author of Hebrews didn't put in verse numbers and chapters and break it all up. He just, he just kept on writing. And see, we, we quote this verse all the time. It is appointed to man once to die and then to face the judgment. Anybody know what the next verse says? Because the next verse is just a continuation of what the author was saying. He continued by saying, So also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. We're all going to have to stand before God on judgment, but Christ is waiting to hand us salvation. He's already given it to us. I don't want to teach any false theology here. But our glorification won't happen until that day when we leave this body and leave this place. Christ is waiting for us. And we must be waiting for Him. We must be waiting for His return. And so we wait. We wait for Him to make all things right. We wait for Him to stop all the evil and pain and suffering and tragedy and heartache and resentment and bitterness and worry and anxiety. We wait for that. We wait for Him to wipe the tears from our eyes and to tell us that we are loved by Him and that He will protect us and shield us from all evil from now on. We wait as a bride waiting for her groom. But we won't be waiting long. So while we wait, We follow. We follow Him. Everywhere He's leading us to do what He's already doing. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For you're saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Do you believe that? Do you believe that ahead of time, before you were created, that God prepared good works for you and me specifically to do? And we're His workmanship. He crafted us. Put those two thoughts together. He made plans of good things He wants us to do while we're here on this earth and then he crafted us for those, to accomplish those things that he, he's done. I mean, what better pep talk could anybody ever get? You know, you, you think about all the great pep talks in the world. Talking about, you can do this. You, you can just muster up the strength and get out there. You've practiced. You've worked hard. You can do this. God is crying out to us from the Scriptures. I've got such an amazing plan for your life of things for you to do. And guess what? I perfectly made you so that you could do it. No one is better prepared, better equipped, or better made and designed to do what I have for you than you. 
God didn't just give you some bar to attain and say, well, I only really made a few people able to accomplish it. No. He said, I've made plans for you. And I crafted you. You're my workmanship. God's workmanship. To do these things. Y'all familiar with this verse? Psalm 139, 16. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Every single day of your life is written in God's book and planned. Planned by who? Well, not by you. You weren't even created yet. If you could write... think. Go with me for a second. If you could write your own plans for the rest of your life, or if you could have anyone write them, would you do it, or who would you choose? I think we've all tried to write our own plans in life. And I don't think anybody can stand up here and say, yep, I planned it all out and it's happened just like I, I thought, just like I said it was going to. I am the, the master of my own destiny. No. Now, I believe in God's complete sovereignty, and I don't want you to mistake me on this. But I also believe in man's free will, which God allows us to do what he doesn't want us to do. You hear me? God allows you to do what he doesn't want you to do. He allows us to reject Him, even though He doesn't want us to reject Him. The Scripture's clear on this. And I'm begging and pleading with you to be reconciled to Him and give your life completely over to Him, since He's the one who's giving you life anyways. Trust Him. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Ask Him to forgive you for thinking that you're in control of this life, that you can muster up the strength and do what you want, that you can make your own plans and that you're not, you don't care about what plans God made. I'm telling you, I'm very curious. I would love, I mean, this is, this is the book. I mean, God wrote this book. There's no doubt. This is God's book. But I'm, I would love to see what the plans are that God has prepared for me for the rest of my life. But I'm thankful that he's not going to show me that book yet. It'd be awful to know what day I was going to die. <laughs> You'd stress so bad. <laughs> Would you not? Maybe. Depends. Depends on how, for, how much you're looking forward to going home, I guess. Knowing that we're not made for this world. Knowing that this is just a stepping stone to eternity. God's got some amazing plans written out for us. Good works that he wants us to do. Oh, it's not up there anymore. But good works that he wants us to do. But he still gives you the choice to do them or not. Make that choice. Make that choice. That I'm not going to re resist God anymore. I'm not going to prioritize anybody, even my kids, like Eli did, over honoring and doing what God told me to do. Because the day that you start prioritizing people 
over what God has commanded you to do, you will begin to destroy those people that you think you so most dearly love. Just easy example. A parent says they love their kids. I'm sure they do. I'm not saying they don't. But they say they love their kids, and then they're going to prioritize their kids first and put God to the side. They don't live their life for God. They don't prioritize God in their life. They spend their whole time focusing on the kid. Now, does that kid become the man or woman God wants them to be more easily or less easily than the parent who always puts what God wants them to do first, who prioritizes God over the kids and mimics that and shows them that and, and, and is an example of that to their kids as they grow up? I'm just saying. I'm, I'm kidless, but I'm just saying. I've got parents. Y'all have had parents. Most of you have had kids. And I'm just telling you, you must prioritize God over the people He's given us if you want what's best for those people that He's given us. There's no way around it. I love y'all. And this life is tough. And I'm not trying to downplay that. I know many of your stories. I know a lot of the pain that many of you are going through and have been through in life. I'm not trying to downplay that. And I, I, I've got my own stories and I've got my stories to come. Okay? But I'm just saying, let's not lose focus. Let's not lose focus of what's most important. What's most important for you is your relationship with God. Because your relationship with God affects your relationship with every other person. And there's no way around it. God made you. He gave you life. He gave you breath. He gave you existence. And He deserves all of you. More so than any other person does. God deserves you more than your kids do. God deserves you more than your parents do. Or your spouses do. And if you chase after God, all the other things will fall into place the best that they can in a fallen, broken world. And He's promised to make all things right one day. Let's pray together. Father, this life is hard. Father, this life is painful. It hurts. Father, there's, there's things that we want so badly in this life. Father, we sometimes, like Hannah, cry out to you in our anguish and sometimes in our resentment. We hurt and we become angry. And so, Father, I just ask you to forgive us. Not forgive us for hurting, but forgive us for wanting something else more than you and becoming angry with you for it. Father, there's nothing worth more than you. There's nothing we could have and no one we could have that's more important than having you. And so, Father, we love you. And we need you. And we need you to help us through these times of pain and heartache and sorrow and hurt. We need you. And, Father, we, we don't know how. 
we don't know how you're going to make things right. Because when we look at our lives and we see all the brokenness and pain, we, we think there's, there's no way any good can come from this. It, it can't. But Father, we trust you. We trust you that you knew before you ever created this world everything that would happen. And you have the power, regardless of how much we fight against you, resist against you, no, much, how, no matter how much the enemy fights and rebels against you, we trust that you have all power and you will make things right one day for those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. And so, Father, we love you. And, Father, we, we thank you for your love for us. And we thank you that you will set things right one day. Father, help us to prioritize you over everyone else in our life. Help us to prioritize you more than ourselves because you are life and you are worthy of my life. You are worthy of my, my energy and affection you're worthy of everything I am. And so I just want to pour it out to you. And you've told us how to do that. To love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourself. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.